Hi everyone, this is Olga Max, still building contracts from home. And today I'm here with my very, very good friend, former fellow general counsel, an amazing woman all around, uh, Sarah. Sarah, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, Olga, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so glad that you're still building contracts, the future of contracts, that, that's really important um, for many, many reasons. Uh, my name is Sarah Feingold. I'm the co-founder of a company called The Fourth Floor. We, we help get women on boards and we help startups scale their companies by having them um, have really powerful boards. So that's what we're doing with The Fourth Floor. I'm also uh, an Engelberg Center fellow and the Engelberg Center is part of NYU Law School. And I'm an artist and I wrote a play called Legal Madness. So that's just a little bit about me. Oh, and I was Etsy's first lawyer and Vroom's first lawyer. That's oh, yeah, there was that. The Etsy and room indiscretions. Yeah, I yeah. Love it. That, was, that was something, too. Forgot about that. Yeah, lawyer. Yeah, I can't forget about it. Those are iconic experiences. Um, I, I think we're both kind of collecting those. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great experience. Uh, well, I want to talk about art. Uh, we both share passion for art. I, I have uh, many years of formal art training. And the reason I reached out to you the very, very first time back when you were the general counsel at Etsy is because of your passion for art. Um, as, as you can see, I have lots of paintings in my room. I, I periodically rotate. I have a very, very soft spot for artists. Um, and at some point, I was the general counsel of an arts nonprofit. So I do want to talk about how arts and law intersect and how they can propel each other forward, and not just in copyrights kind of way, but in skills, transferable skills and lifestyle uh, for lawyers. So Sarah, tell me about your passion for, for jewelry and, and for uh, metalsmithing. So thanks for asking. Um, I like to say that I was born an artist. I just have been making things my entire life. I love just making things. And it started out making really bad, ugly things. And then slowly things became less ugly. And every once in a while I'll make something that I'll be like, actually, that's pretty good. I did a good thing. I went to law school because I had all of these curiosities about copyright law, like you mentioned, and uh, contracts. And, and I just thought, like, how could I help protect the things that I was making and really help those people that I loved so much in the art artistic community. Uh, but I think that there are just so many things that visual artists, um, it, there's just so many ways that visual, making visual art has added to my life. I mean, I have my sewing machine, I just realized, is behind me. Um, even in the pandemic, I called it stress crafting. And it just felt really good to put your hands to work and make something um, when there was really, you felt out of control in so many areas, but you could feel in control when you're making something physical. Very interesting. I, I, I have a slightly different theory. I, I, I think of it as very meditative. Mm -hmm. uh, when I create something, I'm definitely sort of in the zone and nothing else exists. And it, you sort of, it's a conversation with yourself that sort of progresses and sometimes doesn't and teaches you to deal with wins and frustrations in the, in the kind of very solitude way. But I like how you talked about stress crafting. I never thought of it this way. Um, tell, me, tell me more how, how you use um, art and, and making things and craft to cope with stress maybe of COVID or frankly law practice or anything else. You know, I think there's just something, and I, and I think that the meditative um, aspect of it is also there. But 
there's just something so satisfying about making something physical, whether it turns out the way you envisioned it in your head or something that is way worse or maybe slightly better, which doesn't always happen is slightly better. The, the challenge of, of something physical, especially as lawyers, when at the end of the day, what do I have to show for what I just did? Like maybe a bunch of emails, you know, I don't, maybe, maybe some data, but when you make things by hand, when you're crafting or making art, you have something physical and you can also kind of see your progress if you're really trying to get better and better at a craft. And then also some of the skills are transferable um, to any business, right? Like just the thought of iteration and the thought of being patient with yourself and the thought of a beginner's mindset. Uh, there's just so many things that I've gotten out of being quiet also being quiet, which I'm not very good at, but being quiet and getting into my art. And it's just given back to me a lot. Hey, no judgment on not being quiet um, from not so quiet girl over here. So uh, we're, I think we're good. Um, I, I high five you for not being quiet. Um, that's, that's the best kind of uh, lawyer and artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the sort of, um, you know, how you describe envisioning something in your head and then see how it plays up in real life. And actually one of the reasons I love contracts is because contracts, you know, you really are crafting a work product and you have this vision for it and then you see it play out in real life and you're like, oh, I have something else in mind. <laughs> um, so that's actually kind of- I knew of how something was gonna go wrong. I knew it, like that's why I put it in there. <laughs> or hey, you know, I thought it was gonna be a beautiful relationship, but actually it's an amazing love story. Um, <laughs> So that happened to me a couple of times when I was practicing law and I, I, and I really sort of connected contracts to art making and having a vision and seeing it in reality and being a proud mom or being sort of like, oh, that was a learning experience. We can do better next time. Um, transferable skills in beginner's mindset, how important it is for practicing law? So I think the beginner's mindset is really, really important for practicing law because, you know, I think as lawyers, we want to come in being like, we got this, we know everything, we have the answers to all of these problems. But when you're in-house, you have to know that your client is going to be pushing the boundaries and that your client needs you to take appropriate risks. And you, you just can't just be saying no, 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 no. So understanding what you know and what you don't know, I think is just so very important. And that comes out in like making art as well. Um, you know, and you can, you can be really great at one medium and then go to a different medium and be like, oh, right, I'm good at metal smithing, at, but metal reacts so much differently than paint. You know, paint, you can swirl around and mix all the colors and metal is very difficult. You have to use a file, you have to use, um, you know, a torch, you have to use acid, you have to use a saw. It's not as forgiving, um, but there are benefits to both of them. And just like a lot of learning. Yeah, I've done metal smithing. In fact, I've discovered metal smithing later in life um, when I actually got pregnant with my first child. And by the time I was seven, eight months pregnant, I was fully on with a big torch because I think of jewelry as, 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 as little or big sculptures. Uh, those who know me know that I like big jewelry because I think I like wearing sculptures. Um, and um, my husband saw me with a big torch when I was eight months pregnant and, you know, he sort of yelled at me that I was endangering, you know, his future, my, our future child, um, explained to him that a happy mother is the best mother. 
so I, I, I really felt, I, I actually like the media quite a lot. You, you give up some control, but you get sort of the three dimension of it. And you can get, you, can, you get a chance to play with fire. And you, you play with fire, you play with acid, you play with files, you play with saws. It's small. It's really, it's unforgiving. It's cold. It's very difficult to get. And there's sort of a magic to it. Like, you know, you never see someone who looks at a, a piece of jewelry or metalsmithing and is like, oh, I could do that. Right. <laughs> but so many people look at a painting. I could do it. First of all, you couldn't. Um, but there's just this magic and unknowingness to, to metalsmithing. And it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, it requires an attention to detail. I feel like there's just so many different things that align with law and metal smithing. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Like walking that line, the dangerous lines, is a very sharp tool. Yeah, <laughs> there is something really primal and empowering in the process of struggling, discarding, putting it back together. I, I just absolutely love it. For me, it was fire. There are other two dangerous tools that were interesting, but playing with fire was, was like really speaking to me, especially when I was pregnant. <laughs> Melting metal with fire. That's what metal smithing is. I mean, if, you, if you're gonna do those, use those tools. Um, yeah. And how cool is that? Totally. <laughs> um, I mean, the only thing I'm missing in my house is a metal smith studio. Everything else I have, I think. You can make one. I have one in a closet here in Brooklyn. I have the world's oh, yeah. smallest. Yeah, tell, tell, me, tell me more about your closet metalsmith studio. I have the world's smallest metal. I transformed, I transformed one of my closets. And listen, I live in a small Brooklyn apartment, so this was a big deal. And I have a little bench, and I have a little butane torch that was used for creme brulee that I got over it. Like, no, seriously, I'm using a creme brulee torch. I have a little mason jar. That's my pickle pot. I have a little, you know, a couple little tools and a really a lot of beads, a lot of stones, a lot of wire. And it's, it's my happy place. It's, a, it's really small, but where there's a will, there's a way. If you want to make jewelry, if you want to do any sort of something, you can figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'll work on that. I, I love that you give me assignments. That tends to yeah, be. Yeah, here's your assignment. You have a whole garage full of like exercise equipment. Take a little corner and make, put it in a jeweler's bench. I, I value my exercise equipment. That's a separate conversation. Okay. I, I am on the mission to be the most buff version of myself by the time this COVID is over. Uh, so we're not sacrificing that. But yes, we'll find a place for, for Olga's uh, uh, stu place to play with fire. I just have to figure out how I comply with code and and really make sure I convince this, this guy I married who does not like seeing me playing with fire. Um, any other medium, uh, visual mediums that you like? Uh, you talked a little bit about painting or crafting, sewing machine. Tell, tell me more about that. Um, yeah, I don't paint. Um, I'm not very good at sewing. The sewing machine's out because I've been making my own masks for all my family and friends. Um, I've been getting into a little bit about embroidering and, you know, metalsmithing, that's it. It's one okay. of the, I've been doing it since I was 12. I um, got my minor in it in, in college. I chose my law school based on its metalsmithing program. Oh, I prioritized, <laughs> Yeah, I prioritized when we moved to make sure that I had a space for my, my tiny little studio, my metalsmithing studio. Um, I fell in love at a young age and I'm still doing it. And I'm very lucky that I could be doing that. Wow, but yeah, metal specific was my acquired love. My first love was 
drafting and painting. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but but I fell hard for for metalsmithing. Uh, it's definitely one of those fun, empowering experiences of creation that um, that that is just if you try it once. I I find that I keep returning to it and longing for it. Um, let's talk about you know we we have another sort of uh, love that we share and that is love for writing um, and expressing ourselves through uh, you know, communicating through writing uh, and to some extent every lawyer is a writer right as as lawyers with I joke that we perfected kindergarten skills of reading writing and arguing uh, we're really really good at that and so to some extent you know when people call me a writer I tell them look we're all writers. And specifically, lawyers are all writers, so I, I don't I don't feel anymore as a writer. But having said that, I you know I've published quite a few things, and I think it's fair to say that at this point I am a writer, and so you are as well. And one of the things that you're working on is this project called Legal Madness. Very intriguing project. I'll let you describe what it is, and then I'll ask you all kinds of questions about it. Awesome. So Legal Madness came out of the fact that um, I was in-house at Etsy and Broom for a lot of years. I know a lot of in-house attorneys and, uh, you know, we talked about stories that happened to us and we're not allowed to share those stories publicly due to attorney-client privilege. And that's always bothered me. One, because I'm a nosy person and these are amazing stories and I want to know more of them. And the second is that the whole practice of law comes from storytelling and lesson learning, right? Like this is where law comes from. And if we can't tell these stories, I think that them being lost is really, is terrible. We really need to be telling some of these stories. So I found a loophole, like a good lawyer. uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, look, telling telling stories is human. Just fundamentally, that's how we grow as, as, as a as a species, but and fundamentally lawyers, there is a term for that. It's called war stories, right? Um, you know, and that's when, when you go to law school, you have law firms and in-house lawyers and government lawyers come in telling you war stories, right? That's why people kind of roll their eyes and they're like, oh yeah, there's another lawyer coming telling their war story. So we have a term for that. So stories are super important, yet there is this sort of privilege thing um, and which makes us uncomfortable. So those stories are actually told, they're told in private. And I think what you are making the difference in making them public and shedding the light and actually sharing those stories with humanity because a lot of legal stories have a human element underlying there. Um, so tell me where you've been and where are you going? Great, great question. So um, what I did was I reached out to my network and then I got a little bit of press and I had an online anonymous form and I collected anonymous stories of in-house counsel. And some of the stories that I collected were terrible. Some of them were amazing. Um, And I turned those stories into monologues and then we hired actors to perform the scripts on stage. And we had our first, and I was just like, yeah, I guess I wrote a play. Um, and so <laughs> just, we, you know, yeah, just run a play. so we had our fir- first and only live performance in November before the world collapsed. And I was working on scaling the production when, when COVID hit. And, um, I was just telling you that I've finished the next first draft of the show. I have a binder. Look at this. I love it. The real paper binder in the digital world. I love it that to a woman who advocates for digitization, you're showing binders. 
Way to go. I love it. <laughs> no, it was just one of those things where I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm getting stories. I'm editing stories. I'm rearranging it. I'm putting in a lot more content than was in our first show. Our first show was sort of like a cabaret night where people would just pop up popcorn telling these stories. They're really amazing stories, but this has more of a cohesive flow. It's telling, there's a story throughout all the little stories. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and it felt really good to say to myself, oh my gosh, I can push print. I have, I can push print and I can like read it and, and put it different and put it in order in different ways and edit it. And, and really this is turning into more of a real thing. Yeah, no, there is something satisfying in him. I, I, you know, have, I publish, I'm publishing my third book and exactly. Um, uh, and having a tangible version that you can hold and rearrange and tear and scribble, it becomes a very tangible experience. And you, you know, I find that I edit work very differently when it is actually on paper. Um, it is actually kind of more of an like painting art experience, crafting experience. Um, it's it, not just your brain is in the world, but your entire body is in it and you kind of have a skin in the game. So, um, you know, I, I, I am, I definitely think that creation is sort of just like love is a very physical process. You can't, it's, it's not just an intellectual, it, it's really, you need to kind of touch and, and put it together. So, um, so the very successful first event, tell me where the future is taking us with respect to legal madness. So, I mean, I love theater. I, I love, love theater. I'm an excellent audience member. I'm really good at clapping. I'm really good at being quiet and laughing at jokes and clapping. Um, I cannot wait for New York to open our theater again. I, I used to go to the theater at maybe once a week, at least a couple times a month. I love theater. It breaks my heart that all these people are out of work and that theater is closed. So I'm not sure what the future is for legal madness, but I do know that I really want my stories to be told in some sort of way. So what I'm sort of picturing is I'm going to continue working on this. And once it's at a certain point, I'll have some table readings via Zoom, bring in some actors who are actually good at their craft. I'm not going to be on the stage. That's not my skill set. Um, and then, you know, keep working on it. And then eventually I would love it to be at a real theater. I keep saying, and I don't want to give too much away, but this is a four dimension play. Like this is not just in 3D, it is in 4D. And I can't wait for people to be in the audience and really experience uh, what I'm putting down on paper right now. Oh, 4D, I like it. Um, it, it you, you're dreaming big. Uh, I'm tempted <laughs> to ask you what it is, but I'm a little worried that you're gonna admonish me that, uh, that I'm forcing you to, to give more away. So. I'll, I'll throw it out there, and if you want to um, tell me more, I would not object. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you more because <laughs> it's still in the it's it's still in the creative phase, and uh, I want to keep you wanting more so that you come to the show and you can see what is in my crazy brain right now. But um, I have a lot of really great ideas. Hopefully, they're great. I don't know. Maybe they're a little bit out there. But why not? You know, it's COVID time. And I spent a lot of time when COVID started just being really sad. And then eventually I got really energized and I started working on the show and the creativity just like came out of me. So we'll see what, what, what this looks like once it's really on a stage. But right now I'm pretty excited by it. That, that is really cool. So let's actually talk a little bit about COVID um, and the kind of the COVID blues and you clearly found a path to, to make it a, uh, 
life and rose in COVID. Um, so tell, 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 tell me how, you know, what was the COVID blues period like and how did you sort of get yourself out of it? Because I know for a fact that you're not the only person having COVID blues. Uh, I, you know, as energized as I am, you know, I do get up sometimes in the morning and I'm like, right, I'm still in my house. And I used to travel 70, 80% of the time. So um, I've never been so much in my house since I was five. Um, and so would love to kind of hear about your COVID blues and then maybe how through art and playwright and that energize and hopefully like helps you to, to, to deal with the COVID blues. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, this has changed everything for a lot of people. Like you, I'm a parent. And so trying to deal with, you know, a, a human, a small human and what we have to do with homeschooling and I mean, it, it's awful. Like, and then looking at the news and seeing people die and wondering if you're sick and your loved ones are sick. It, it's so horrible that you can't even get through, can't get to a creative place because, you know, it's like the hierarchy of needs, right? Like if you don't feel safe, how can you do anything else? Um, but then eventually I did start feeling safe and, and things became a little bit like strange routine. It wasn't typical, but um, and then, you know, slowly I gave myself permission to like, not feel guilty about not working on some projects and, and just giving myself, you know, a couple minutes here or there. And then eventually, um, inspiration hit. And I know that sometimes you, you can't force it. Right. Um, and maybe something was happening in the back of my head during all the, the sadness. And that's why eventually some, some things came out of my head onto the paper, um, but it's hard, you know, it's hard to balance all of the different pressures of the world. Yeah. You mentioned guilt and it's really funny. The, 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 you know, guilt comes up a lot when I talk to lawyers. Um, we always feel like we could have done bigger, better, faster. And, and there, there are no shortage of pressures, whether you're in house or a law firm for us to perpetually feel inadequate. Um, and as an artist, um, you know, when you put yourself out there and your creation, you know, your, 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 your little monster, um, there is um, a little bit of sort of uh, insecurity that comes out. And, and that's actually something that law and art have in common. Um, and I always joke because, you, see, you know, as you know, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, you know, feelings of guilt and shame come up a lot. Um, in law, definitely in art. Um, and um, I, I will always comment that guilt or shame are not positive feelings. Um, you need to work through those because um, they will hold you back in your legal career. They'll hold you back in your art. They will hold you back in, in life. Um, but I, um, I, I really love the process that you've gone through, you know, from blues to sort of guilt, to letting go, to creating something beautiful. And um, we'll see. We'll see if it's beautiful. <laughs> I am sure it's beautiful. How can it not be the creation? It has to be beautiful. I mean, we're, we're humans. We're women. We're lawyers. You know, we always want to strive for something excellent. Um, I think guilt and shame and imposter syndrome and perfectionism and that's all out there. And it's, and it's hard. It's hard for us to, to push forward. But I think that we're, I'm not perfect and I'm okay with that. You know, authentic typos happen. 
I wonder where you got that term. It's so good. I love that term, Olga. I love authentic typos because it gives you permission to be human and to still put your stuff out into the universe without worrying about perfection because we're all putting authentic typos out there and that's okay. Um, and I think that's sort of where art comes from too is, you know, there's so much bad art. So many, like I was looking, I was looking for my mom's jewelry box um, when I, I was, I was stranded at my parents' house for a little while during COVID. And um, when you're a jeweler like me, you make a lot of stuff and you obviously give it to your mom. And then she like tells you how good it is and never wears it and puts it in a box. And it's small, right? Jewelry is cool because it's really small and you could just put it in a box. Like paintings or ceramics could be big and you, where am I going to store this stuff? But jewelry is really tangible and small. I was looking through it awful stuff, like really authentic typos over and over and over again, but you learn from it, right? And I, I really thought it was good, but in hindsight, it wasn't good, but you can kind of see your progress. I don't know where I'm going with this, but authentic. No, no, I, look, I mean, look, I, as you know, I'm a fan of authentic typos, of, you know, my, my favorite term, I, I do a lot of typos, uh, probably more than I should, but, you know, I, I do know that uh, there, every lawyer out there is proofreading my work, and I hear from them, and it's a really great conversation. Hey, Olga, you're perfect. Great. Let's talk about something else. Uh, so I actually enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's a great place to start a conversation where people can be helpful to you. I crowdsource my typos. It took me a little while to, to, to gain security uh, around uh, putting myself out there. Um, I, I, I say that there is, in, in nature, there is an inverse correlation between volume and quality. Um, and since I do put out quite a lot of work out there, they're bound to be a quality that is maybe not the top notch if I were agonizing about it for years. Um, and so I, I've sort of accepted it. Um, but, you know, there is this part, and you sort of mentioned the imposter syndrome, um, where uh, we sort of create and apologize for our work. Um, and uh, I, I find that actually doing creation, a lot of creation helps you get over it um, as opposed to, um, you know, just sort of, um, you know, hope that it goes away. How do, what is, uh, and again, in, imposter syndrome is another sort of big theme in, in, in law. What is, what is uh, what, how do you deal with it? Because we all, I think, I presume many of us struggle with it um, at one point of our lives. Um, I think just acknowledging it, like when it, when it pops up, just acknowledging that that's what, that's what I'm feeling and then being able to, to kind of understand what's really below the surface and try to figure out how to move forward. Because, you know, sometimes imposter syndrome shows up and you think like, I'm not good enough or I'm dumb, but really like, or, or I'm fearful, but, but really what it comes down to is that it's imposter syndrome and there, and it's going hand in hand with these other feelings and then trying to figure out how to move forward. And again, like what you were just saying, you know, um, the quantity versus quality type situation. Listen, if you're going to put stuff out into the universe and you're going to put it out daily or hourly or whatever you're going to do, then it's a return on investment situation. There's only so many hours in a day and you have to really prioritize your time and your effort. So, you know, it, and it's sort of giving yourself permission to be the expert and giving yourself permission to be imperfect. Yeah, no, I can't agree with you more. So, so legal man. When can I expect to, to see, yes, that, 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 that binder, which will be more than a binder one day. Yeah. Um, when can I expect 
to enjoy and see and be part of it? Well, I don't know because of the world um, and what's happening with theater, but hopefully soon. And I'm still collecting stories. So if anyone who's watching this video uh, is, has a story that they're like, oh my gosh, Sarah, you have to include this in Legal Madness. It's one of those things where I can't stop collecting stories. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what else is out there? What, else, what other treasure am I going to uncover that I'm gonna kick out a different story and put yours in? Um, legalmadness.party is our website. We have an anonymous form so you can submit your stories where we'll be apparently, I think I'm always going to be accepting stories, but thank you to all those people who have sent me their stories and have trusted me with their stories. Um, I feel for you. And some of those stories, I don't know how you survive some of these stories. These are, these are great stories. Um, but as to your question, you know, I wish I had the answer, but hopefully sooner rather than later, because again, it's four dimensions. And so as much as I would love to do it on Zoom, and maybe I'll do it on Zoom anyway, um, I just have this vision of doing it in the actual live theater. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. I, I mean, I yeah. think Zoom, especially given the indefinite nature of this adventure in COVID, uh, may be a good start and, and, and learn. Um, I, I, I have a coping mechanism when I get to a party that um, I may or may not feel comfortable being at. Uh, and for me, who is an introvert, that actually almost every party. Um, I always find an employment lawyer because they have the best stories. Uh, they will tell you the best stories of human imagination and what they would do to each other to get at each other. Um, and, um, and that has been my sort of little thing that I've been doing as long as I've been practicing law. I will find the one employment lawyer um, and that assures that I have entertainment for the night. For the, for the night. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, let, me, let me ask you a question about this. So you go into a legal function, something or other, and being an introvert, which I had no idea you're an introvert. I am an extrovert. Um, and you will just say like, who's an employment lawyer? And then go over that person. Like, how, do you, how do you do that? I'm a little bit more subtle than that. Um, I, um, there's this thing called internet and LinkedIn. I tend oh, I see. I tend to know who the employment lawyer is locally speaking. So give me a little bit of a benefit of a doubt in my ability to research and stalk people. Okay, you're all right, all right. You're planning and doing research, which is clearly something I don't do very often. So I'm, as an extrovert, I just will enter a room and be like, hi. <laughs> Yeah, I tend to know my audience, uh, okay. and I enjoy to 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 really figure, you know I'm an introvert, so I would like to figure out what makes people tick, and and uh, and I like sharing stories. Um, and I have found that employment lawyers by far have the, the most, uh, and HR professionals by 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 correlation uh, have by far most interesting stories because human imagination is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And since many of us are employed and we spend quite a lot of time there, that is a very right form for us to express our human tendencies. So um, I, I always, I'm always very entertained if I talk to at least one employment lawyer or HR professional at a party. That's my little party secret. For I myself. love that. And you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I have some really, and I think a lot of legal madness is because of the people that we work with at startups. And so there's a lot of about the people in this show yeah fantastic i cannot wait I, I think to see and maybe to read and uh in zoom or uh in person or in any other dimension that is uh that we will discover um hopefully maybe with the help of technology sarah i i had a wonderful conversation with you exploring art 
yeah. where we're we going and how to get there one in one piece and two as a better version of yourself. Thank you for your insights and advice. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, Olga.